0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsay Rhodes here with lots to discuss today on our last episode for a little while. We're going to take a little bit of a hiatus after a long NFL season, spend some time with the fam, that kind of stuff, and I'll keep you up to speed on things um, when we're back. But for now, Super Bowl 57 in the rearview mirror, and what a game that was. Two teams that each played well enough to win that took it right down to the wire, whose best players rose to the occasion, whose coaches did as well. I loved every minute of it. And I know a lot of people are very upset about the holding call and I totally get it because while it was obviously a hold, the main point is that you play to the way the game is being officiated. And if they're not calling things, then you play with that in mind. I see that as early as like my son's youth basketball games. If they're not calling fouls, it gets more physical and you better step up and match that physicality. You can't not because it should be a foul. You're going to get run out of the gym that way. So I get the frustration from people about the hold being called when it was considering the fact that other holds hadn't been called leading up to that. But, and I hate to say, but, but the refs are human. And as long as that is true, There are going to be inconsistencies in officiating. It's just a baked in part of the game. It's a part of every game at all levels of all sports. And you don't want it to be a part of the game when the game is of this magnitude, but it is. And no one was out to get Philly. It was a hold, and them's the breaks. And for the record, I think that the Eagles team handled this incredibly from Bradbury admitting that it was a hold and even going a step further to admit that he was hoping they didn't see it to Sirianni going out of his way to say that the game didn't come down to that one play, that the Chiefs were the better team on that day. I was so impressed with their accountability and their sportsmanship across the board. I think they represented themselves in Philadelphia so well on that day. And not just off the field, on the field also, which, by the way, was another issue. I know, the field. Um, I think that was actually a bigger issue when it comes to determining the outcome of the game in a way that should be frustrating for Philadelphia Eagles fans. But I'll get into that um, in more detail with my guest, Albert Breer, who's going to join me in just a minute. First, though, my main takeaways from the game, the things that I will remember most, I think for me, it comes down to the quarterback play and the coaching. So first, Jalen Hurts belongs in the top-tier quarterback conversation. Not that many people were wondering anymore, but for the few who might have been, he showed up and he played his best game as a pro in the Super Bowl. He made the throws, that 45-yarder to Devontae Smith on third down in the fourth quarter that led to a touchdown to tie the game. Chiefs hardly found themselves in third down, which was a different story in the game, their success on second down. But when the Eagles were in third, Jalen dug for a big play, and more often than not, he came up with one. 374 total yards of the Eagles, 417 in this game. He set a new Super Bowl record for rushing yards by a quarterback, and if Mahomes wasn't in this game... I honestly think that Hertz would have had a chance to be the second player ever from a losing team to take home the Super Bowl MVP award. You could make the argument that he was the best player on the field on that day. That said, Mahomes proved a whole shit ton of other things about his toughness, about the ways in which you cannot count him out about the ways in which he makes traditional analysis hard. I have said this before, but I believe it even more now. He is an outlier. Among great players, even, he is an outlier. He reminds me of Kobe a little bit in the sense that he plays his best in the biggest moments and the biggest games. Against the best teams, which is what he did on Sunday. Against Philadelphia's defense, which was the best in the NFL this year, Casey's success rate on Sunday was the best it's been all year. And Mahomes had one leg for most of the game. But again, that's something you can't factor in with him. Like when he went down in the second quarter on that TJ Edwards tackle, I heard people at my Super Bowl party say things like, well, that's it. And I literally laughed. And thought, not only is this not it, and he is not leaving the field. Like, unless there is a bone sticking out of his body somewhere, this man is gonna stay on this field. But he's also going to play from here on out as if nothing is wrong. And they're gonna win. And if you didn't think so before, the improbability of them winning this game now is why they're gonna win it. He is a unicorn. The man has trailed by double digits. 24 times in his NFL career. 25 times. And he's won 14 of those games. You guys, he has won more games in which he has trailed by double digits than he has lost. It is bonkers and counterintuitive. And how about this? After the injury, when his team came back out after halftime, trailing by 10, he threw 14 passes. He completed 13 of them, and the only one that was incomplete was a throwaway. This second half was a thing of beauty for Kansas City. Zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero sacks, zero punts. They scored on every single drive. And as much credit as Mahomes should get, deserves to get it, we have to talk about Andy Reid, who was in his bag, and not just in the ways that could have been anticipated the screens that he ran to neutralize their pass rush. But he pulled things out for this game that we hadn't really seen them do, that put that extra element of confusion into every play. Like McKinnon and Pacheco on the field together on the first drive of the second half. Hadn't seen that that much this year. Also had a a, a receiver run a jet sweep on the play to draw defenders away. There were layers to every play that kept his... Uh, this Eagles defense off balance that took their aggressiveness and used it against them. Also, and I think Kelsey pointed this out, there were players that were wide ass open. Tony on his touchdown, Moore on his touchdown. That's not because of the player. That's design. And by the way, the name of the play on the Tony touchdown was corndog. Because as Reed told Peter King after the game, there's nothing better than a good corn dog with some mustard and ketchup. Layers. And by the way, I want to mention Sirianni also. And specifically, his aggressive nature on fourth down. And I want to mention this because we always freak out. I mean, we being like collectively the NFL audience always freaks out when coaches go for it on fourth down and they don't get it. So let's talk about the ways that his going for it impacted this game, starting with what he did before the game, which was go for it on fourth down 35 times this season. And thanks to Mina Kimes for these numbers. Of those 35 times, the Eagles successfully converted the down 25 times. And those drives led to 114 points for his team. That is 114 points that the Eagles would not have had this season if Sirianni hadn't said, we're going for it on a fourth down. So that's an obvious benefit right there. But uh, there's another one, too, that I'll get to in just a sec. First, the fourth and five in the second quarter. At KC's 44-yard line in a tie ball game, he goes for it. Uses all of his downs, converts, keeps the drive alive, keeps the ball out of Mahomes' hands. Four plays later, another fourth down. This time he needs two yards. And this is where the history comes in. KC knows he's not just lining up to try and draw them offsides, Though he might be. They know there is a strong chance that a play is actually coming, and they have to be ready. And that's how you draw them off sides, with a real threat. Not just a perceived threat, but a history of evidence that tells you they might do this. So we got a neutral zone infraction, and we got a rushing touchdown for the Eagles one play later. More points for Philadelphia on a drive with a fourth down go. Went for it again in the third quarter on a fourth and one, walked away with three points on that drive there, and they needed every one of those points to make this a game. I loved it. I loved his pregame moment also during the anthem, the emotions of the moment in which a dream is being realized, and he is appreciating that in real time. That's the shit that gets me, you guys. It's better than a full Tom Rinaldi feature about what the game means to someone, about the road to get there, about the hardships along the way. People work hard to try and paint those pictures in games like this. That right there was the epitome of that saying about a picture being worth a thousand words. That shot of the tears streaming down his face told so many stories about working hard and overcoming doubters and making it. Guys, one million people play high school football every year. 6.5% of those players, or about 70,000 of them, go on to play in college. And just over 1% of those players go on to play in the NFL. And that's just the number of people that play in the NFL. Okay, now get through the playoffs, get into the playoffs, get through the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl, live out the backyard fantasy in real life. No one gets to do that. And I know I'm getting schmaltzy here, that's how I'm wired. I loved that he took the moment in and that he went on to coach the shit out of that game because you can have emotions and also still do your job. Even though his team ended up losing this game, uh, I thought that they did so many things necessary to win it and should be really proud of what they put forth this season. And by the way, those tears, uh, they made a lot of people some money. The who will be shown first prop bet Paid off Eagles betters as they obviously went to him because you have to go to him when the head coach is like bawling during the anthem. It's not even a contest under those circumstances. The which song will Rihanna sing first on the other hand. So we got some intel on my Sirius XM fantasy show on uh, Friday from Frankie Tadeo from Sports Illustrated. He said that he was hearing it was going to be Bitch Better Have My Money and that the last song was going to be Diamonds. Couldn't bet on those things in the United States because, of course, the potential for information to leak like it did. But I would never have guessed that that would be the first song or that the NFL would have approved it as the first song. But I'm constantly being surprised by the NFL. And we were all surprised by Rihanna herself. That pregnancy announcement and the relative vagueness of it, I think caused a lot of uncomfortable, should I acknowledge that I'm thinking this or not, moments at Super Bowl parties across the country. I thought the show was great. I thought the design of the platforms was cool. And hell, if that chick can't serve looks for days. Fierceness personified. And how about this? More people watched her at halftime than watched the game itself. 118 million people watched halftime compared to 113 million that watched the game which makes it the third most watched tv show on record not counted in that total the people in attendance which included my guest today from sports illustrated the author of their famous mmqb article he was in the locker rooms after the game and he joins us now with the things that he learned there it's albert breer let's break the huddle up, let's go! two. On, two, on, two. Ready? Ready? Albert, congratulations! You did it. You made it through the season. You made it through a Super Bowl. You sound like you just spent a week yep. at the Super Bowl. Congratulations for that. It sounds like you did it right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't get time off quite yet. You know, the combine's in two weeks. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll take my kids skiing next week. But I still have a ton of stuff to get to. The coaching stuff. Yep. It's hard to believe that we're you know after the Super Bowl and two weeks from the combine the coaching stuff's still going so, yeah um I know I know you get the same questions Lindsay like what do you do in the off season There's a lot to do in the off season
0: There is no off season <laughs> no the off, off season, season is just a different type of season is yeah, yeah. how I answer it There's like two weeks in June that are actually the off season It is
1: funny getting that question though isn't it Like it's like oh yes yeah, so do you just have six months off Not exactly
0: No. Nope. No, nope, not 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 at all. In fact.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so what was your favorite part of this year's Super Bowl? How will you remember it, you know, differently than other Super Bowls that you've you covered?
1: Know, I, I think there are two things. I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously, like Mahomes, I think we're gonna remember um this is maybe where he started taking steps towards Brady if he gets there yep. 10, 15 years from now, right? Like so um being able to do that on a bum wheel the way he did it on a bum wheel mean, um, I did the leadership, too. You know, somebody asked me earlier today, um, what do we learn about Mahomes? And I, I wanted to say nothing. And then um, I thought about it. And I'm like, you know, when they won the Super Bowl last time, that was a veteran team. And Patrick grew up in locker rooms. And so I think he understood he couldn't force leadership. And so I don't know that he was necessarily like this big-time leader on that team because he didn't need to be, you know. Um, this time around, I think he was. You know, and this time around... Um, you know, a story I had that I wrote the other day was, you know, that he turned down treatment at halftime, which is hard to believe based on like what he looked like at the end of the second quarter, but he thought it was more important. It was more important for him to be with his teammates and to be kind of Wait, one of that's the boys. Why? Yeah.
0: Not because he specifically didn't want the treatment for some reason, but he just didn't want to he, take he, himself he, he, away. So, from. The yeah, group.
1: So he, yeah. So he, he, I mean, I talked to the trainer, Rick Burkholder and, and he was like, yeah, like, you know, Patrick thought he was fine. Um, and he's like, we could have done some stuff with him, but, you know, he thought it was more important for him to go and address the team because they were down, you know? And um, I think that's one of those things that, like, 10, 15 years from now, like, guys who are in that locker room are going to be telling a story of what Patrick Mahomes did at halftime, you know? So I think that's, like, a little difference, a little difference between this Super Bowl and the last one for Patrick. And then I think we learned a lot about Jalen Hurts. You know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. think um, the rate of improvement, is staggering. And you know, I was talking with a with an evaluator on what we can take from, you know, these guys falling in the draft. And obviously Hurts fell further than Mahomes. Um, but you know, like, teams passing on them. And w- someone said to me that um, a veteran evaluator said to me, I think what we learn is do not underestimate a kid's makeup, his character, his determination, his work ethic, because that's what Jalen had in spades. And that's why Jalen got better at things that you're typically not able to get better at as a quarterback. He got more accurate. His anticipation improved. Like all of these things happened with him that generally you don't see the quarterback. And I think that was his best game. You know, I think that's the best game to play as a pro, you know, and like the question is always, can you, you know, it's any quarterback, any NFL quarterback can go out there. Like the two playoff games they played, those games were never in question. You know what I mean? Like, Jalen Hurts didn't need to be Superman, you know, to beat the Giants. He didn't need to be Mm -hmm. Superman to beat the Niners with their fifth quarterback, which was some percentage of Brock Purdy. Um, But, you know, he did need to be, like, great for the Eagles to keep pace with the Chiefs in this game, and he was. And I think that that's a big separator when it comes to quarterbacks in the league is there are lots of guys who can drive the bus. There are lots of guys who can win with a great team around him. How many guys can – how many guys can you say the team wins because of them? And I think Jalen Hurts showed a lot of signs that maybe he can be that guy where a lot of people, myself included, wondered whether or not not he could be that guy. Um, And, you know, like really like being able to cross that line a lot of times is what makes a guy worth giving the big contract to, the sort of contract that the Eagles are going to be negotiating with him in the offseason.
0: You know, it's funny because this game – I feel like it doesn't have that one memorable moment. Like yeah. a lot of Super Bowls have, like, you know, the Butler interception or the Philly special or like one play that yeah. has a name or something that we remember that Super Bowl for. I'm not sure that in my mind there's a specific play that jumps out to me. It's just that like both teams played at their best. You know, I might have one. Board. Okay. Oh, I'd love. Yes.
1: Mahomes rhyme.
0: That, that I was. Okay, I, I was going to say that that was the one that was first on my list. I don't know that yeah, it's that I don't know if it thing. has like,
1: the iconic feel of like, the, yes. but I think it sort of encapsulates the fact that, I mean, he's hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's playing a high ankle sprain. He's playing a high ankle sprain. He, he re-aggravated two hours earlier. And like, to me, it's sort of the one of those moments where that wasn't about talent. You know what I mean? Like that was about seeing something And having the stomach to tuck the ball and run through a defense that is one of the best defenses in the NFL and can light people up on the back end. And like, so if there was a moment, I think that was probably it because that put them in field goal range. That's when you knew, okay, like at the very least, the Chiefs are going to walk away from this possession with the lead. Um, because that took them from around midfield into field goal range. You know, and then the other one, I guess, would be the penalty, which we'll remember for different reasons.
0: For different reasons, I kind of so. feel like the grass, frankly, was a little bit more of a hindrance to uh, the Eagles than the holding call. I mean, it's easy; to, it's easier to, I guess, complain about one specific, um, you know, penalty than it is like field yeah. conditions. But I felt like the field conditions really. Um, hindered the Eagles ability to to be at their best. And I know I just said that they were, but like one of their strengths was as a pass rush. Right. And that was one of the areas that they had an advantage. And I think their inability to get any, like to plant and to push off, um, kind of neutralized uh, an advantage that they had in that. Yeah.
1: And I, I, you know, it's just like, well, one thing you're right. You know, like the amount of clips that we've seen of like Eagles edge rushers trying to turn the corner and falling is staggering, right? Like, and we've all seen all the all 22 clips that have been floating around on social media and everything else. Uh, You know, and I think it's another thing that's sort of like the same way the officiating um, does. Um, So I think it's another thing that kind of ties into a storyline from the season, you know, and that playing surfaces were a storyline during the season and does the NFL take this seriously enough? And Um, you know, what happened on artificial turf this year, and then guys like Nick Bosa coming out publicly saying it's BS that the NFL is putting us out here on these fields. And, you know, if it's true that like part of the reason they grew this grass and wanted it this way is the way it looked on TV and maybe the priority wasn't like what was best for the players and what was going to keep them safest and what was going to produce the highest level of play. And I think we all have bigger questions to ask here. You know, um, you know, I can remember talking to Bosa over the summer about this and he's very serious about it. And I think, I mean, you've been around Nick and Joey cause their dad, like they very view, very much view themselves as sort of business people, you know, and the way they handle their bodies and everything else. And I just think he like, like, like Nick brought up a really interesting point. So you don't hear about this stuff in European soccer. Um, and it's another, you know, these leagues in Europe have the resources the NFL does, and they invest back into it. Well, why is that? Because they're competing against each other for players, right? And then you look in the NFL and what's the one team that's really invested a ton into making sure their field is right? It's the Packers. What's the difference between the Packers and the other 31 teams? Well, Packers don't have an owner that's pocketing the difference, right? So, I mean, I just, I look at that, like, and I I think it does tie into a larger storyline, which is, and, and we've heard the NFLPA president, JC Treder talk about this that there's a feeling of distrust from players that everything is being done to put them on the best, the best surface possible, A, for their health, and B, for their performance. And um, to see it play out that way on the biggest stage, I think, raises more questions. Thank God there wasn't an injury or something like that because you know certainly it does look like, and I'm not a doctor, but it certainly does look like that wasn't the safest surface to play on.
0: Yeah. And obviously both teams have to play on it. But yeah. to my point earlier, if, if it neutralizes a, an advantage that one of those units has going in, then, you know, the other team that didn't have that advantage, it's, it's uh, less harmful to a degree. When you go down on the field to do your post game stuff, are you, I want right. you to paint a picture for me here. Are you ready to run out on the field afterward are you like, waiting back in the tunnel ready to go into a locker room like where are you yeah. positioned as soon as the game so, is over
1: i don't like unfortunately i don't have access the way i used to um the post game field um i post game fields gotten like very very restricted so i think it's just nfl network in the broadcast the network that has the game right so it's nfl network and fox in this case would be allowed on the field it's very very limited um so what I do is I, I park myself by the tunnel and I try to see if I can get any color people coming off the field. Then. Which, um, which
0: tunnel, by the way, or like, are they both the, leaving through the same tunnel? Had,
1: you know, uh, like the, the, the winning team's tunnel, but okay. like, so I was one of the chiefs where I think that stadium, I, I, it was weird. Like they both came out of the same tunnel. So I'm not positive. I I, maybe they're like i i've been for to games in that stadium before i mean maybe i didn't realize before but they may only have one tunnel that stadium, not positive on that but so i try to park myself there so i can see guys coming off the field and then it's really kind of a scramble because i'm trying to arrange with people like hey i'm going to meet you here and hey i'm going to meet you there um like mcveigh like last year for example i met him like I met him behind the team bus, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, was that um, set up?
0: Like I'll meet you. Yeah. Behind I, the
1: bus? Yeah. Right. And, and, and so I went through him and like, we, we, we set it up and everything else. And, you know, I try to set it up beforehand bags. with like both teams, you know, like, so this year, like I, you know, I, I, I text Andy and Nick and like, just be like, Hey, like, I'm going to be looking to get you after the game. Um, and so you're trying to balance that with, if it doesn't work out because it's such a scramble, Mm-hmm. like I need to have other stuff too. So yeah. I'm sort of monitoring the MVP and um, the MVP and head coach press conferences. Cause a lot of times I'll get those guys coming out of that. Um, and then try to do as much work with other players, other coaches as I can in the meantime. So like I, I got, I, I saw, I, I kind of like waited out. Nick Bolton coming off the podium from one of their risers, one of his from his riser in the Chiefs' room, and then I went to the press conference. I didn't get Patrick coming off the podium, and with Andy, I was sort of told to be patient. And so then I circled back around and went to the locker room and got like Rick Burkholder, their um, you know their, their 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 trainer and a couple players, a couple coaches there. Um, you know, then I, you know, you worked with their PR staff, one of the PR guys, you know, pulled me back and I got Andy in his office after that, then, and you'll love this. And I don't think Michael, uh, I don't think Michael mind me telling the story. Me and Mike Silver had to try to find an Uber because, um, you know, I got into the chief's post-game party and now it was like, how are we going to find an Uber in the bleep show that post-game in the parking lots is, so then I think you know, we found an Uber. We had to like walk a mile and a half to kind of cut the Uber line, you know, instead of waiting in a what mile-long line and uh and like set up like a meeting point for us in the Uber, <laughs> and then took the Uber to the Chiefs Hotel for the party. Um, kind of go back and forth there, see some people say hello, all of that, get some color, um, do some writing, and then I go back to my hotel room to finish up. So that's that's pretty much it. But that's normally what I do. Like I I'll do as much as I can in a stadium. Then I'll go to the team's post game party um, and see what I can get from there. What and are the rules about of, that? You're trying, huh?
0: What are the rules about that? You're at the I party. Try to like... Respect,
1: like, well, no, I respect lines as much as I can. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I get color when I can. Like, I'm, I'm not putting people on the record when I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, but like, I try to like, if there's some interesting color, whatever, you know, like this, this year I used Andy, like how almost looked like a, like it's like a, like a politician or a dignitary coming down these steps into the hotel and into this like VIP area and how beloved he is, you know, and like how many people were there to welcome him. And so that's what you're looking for is kind of like how these people are spending was just an incredibly sem- seminal moment for them career wise. Like, I mean, for Andy, it wasn't the first time, but like how they're taking in, like what is just, I mean, probably along with like like getting married and the birth of children like like top five life moment i guess depending on how many kids you have right yeah. like so yeah. somewhere up there anyway yeah i
0: mean you could see that uh on nick siriani's face in the pregame show yeah
1: yeah no question yeah and it's and and like i i think like getting some stuff from the losing team like i it's hard to do a lot of both. You know what I mean? Like, so I try to cover the losing team in my column too. Like the losing team, it's it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to balance. All right. Like I want to make sure I get, I want to make sure I get what I need from the winning team and then get the losing team too. I mean, you've been in those situations, Lindsay. It's, it's you sort of have to pick and choose your spots to some degree.
0: I remember one year I was sent into the loser locker room at the Super Bowl, having not covered that team all year long. These, this is the way some decisions get made that you're like, how, how is that? You know, like it was at NFL network before there were like, uh, now they have, it's more close to like beat reporters who cover yeah. various teams, but it was just like, you're, you get whoever loses. <laughs> and I was like, I have literally never met any of these guys. I haven't been in there all year. I'm going to go into the loser's locker room at the Super Bowl and be like, hi, can I get yeah. a one-on-one? Like what? <laughs>
1: I, I remember the last Super Bowl I covered for the um for for the network was the was Super Bowl 50. And I was covering the Panthers that week. And I remember going into to their locker room. And I mean it's it's weird. I, I think about this every year. Like think about how we perceive those teams for the two weeks. And then think about how your perception changes after the game. You know what I mean? Like it's like up, 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 and like. With the uh, winner, it's like, all right, everything we just said is completely validated one hundred percent, and then the way we look at the losing team just changes completely, you know like it's it's amazing that way, isn't it? And I think that's sort of what players are feeling is like well, so I'm so close to having this like life changing moment and it could change like could change things for me career wise for my family, all this different stuff and then just like that it vanishes and i'm yeah. sure the questions go in your head go through your head is that my last shot at it mm-hmm. like so they're processing all of that and you know certainly like i think like being in the media and walking into a losing locker room like you think about all that stuff like like all the stuff that they're processing you're thinking about and i've been you know i covered the steelers and um in super bowl what was it, 45 after they lost and i remember what that was like and um, yeah, like the losing locker room dynamic is really, really interesting because it's it's absolutely a loss that's unlike any other loss, because, yeah. you know, not only, you know, internally what you feel, but for two weeks, you've been told how you're making how you're creating a legacy for yourself and how, you know, like this is this could be just a start of something and all the rest of it. And it, it 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 can feel, I think, for those guys, like, you know, in a in a three and a half hour span, like the whole thing has has gone up in smoke.
0: Uh, I, it's a heavy, it's almost like it's heavy when you walk into that. It's so quiet that, um, I, I feel like one of the most uncomfortable things about going back and listening to interviews from losing locker rooms in the past is how much I bring my voice down because you don't like, you don't want to be yelling, you know, you want to match the kind of like the audio level, but then it makes you sound like you're just as sad as they are. And it's a weird (laughs) dynamic also, but also truth be told, I have like this empathy issue in those moments where like, if this person starts crying, I'll be like behind the camera, like, (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like tears, you know, like silently streaming down my face. And I'm like, this is awkward for them, Lindsay. Stop.
1: Well, and you think about it, like for, for that group of guys too, like, I think like 90% of the teams that make it that far really close is part of what gets you there. Right. And so you think about it now, like for the Eagles, right. So Shane Steichen's gone. Jonathan Gannon might be gone. They're probably going to lose either Brian Johnson or Kevin Petula. That's just off their coaching staff. Then you talk about players. Fletcher Cox is a free agent. He's been there for a decade. Jason Kelsey's a free agent. He's been there for a decade. Lane Johnson may or may not retire. Brandon Graham may or may not retire. Then you have other free Kelsey. agents on the roster, like Javon Hargrave, who you know had a career year. There's, I mean, there is that element of it too. It's like, it's not going to be the same. Like that group of people that was there that created that. Like when you go back to try to recreate it when they get to their off season program in April, it, it's not going to be a totally different group of people, but the mix for sure isn't going to be what it was.
0: When you go into winning locker rooms after a Super Bowl, is there a consistent theme to what that feels like? Or alcohol? I was
1: going to say, Lisa, <laughs> there's a consistent theme. I'd say alcohol.
0: Ham were- skied. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> Um, yeah, I, I would say, I would say it's euphoria. It's probably the best way to put it, you know, um, seeing my homes, like go around. And, um, you know, when he came into the locker room and, you know, I was actually sitting with the trainer with Rick Burkholder and, um, there's this, there's a, there's an assistant trainer and her name's, uh, Julie Freimeyer, who was with him like the last three weeks, like daily for hours and hours and hours and hours. And he,
0: he gave her some credit on social media. That was awesome.
1: Yeah. And so I'm standing over there and Rick had pulled over. It's like they all want to make sure everybody's getting full credit, which is really cool. Yep. So Rick, like, had pulled over Julie and Dave, his two assistant trainers that were like in close proximity, pulls them over and he's talking to me on the record and he wanted to make sure they got in the story. Right. And so then Mahomes comes over and hugged Julie so hard he pulled her feet off the ground. Right. And then, as I'm leaving the locker room, I grab Mark Donovan because I wanted, he's a team president. I want to ask him, sort of like the difference that Patrick's made for the organization. And he said, hold on a second. And the locker room was closed at this point. And I was trying to respect all of that and everything else. And he said, I want to do this in front of Patrick. So he wanted to say what he was going to say in front of Patrick. And he said, he's a franchise changer. And so, it's euphoria i think it's also gratitude for the people around you which is really cool and i think anybody who's been on a team can 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 relate to that and can appreciate that even though we have no idea what it would feel like to be a super bowl champion like you can see like the way that like you can see kind of part of what puts it together what 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 makes the whole thing happen in those moments because in this moment, that can be that you can make about yourself, right? And is individually is great. It's a great individual achievement and something you're going to be able to talk about when you're sixty and seventy years old, and something you're probably going to be able to make money off of for the rest of your life. Individually, it's worth so much for you to you. And then, you know, you're 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 in the moment and. All you can think about it is making sure that everybody else gets credit for it or that somebody hears you say something about them. You know what I mean? And I just think that that part of it is really, really, really cool. And I think that's probably the part that people watch the games. Look, like, people watching the games are watching the games for the games, right? Um, and they want to see you know, great athletic achievement and performance and all that different stuff. That's why you watch. But if you want to talk about like what makes it happen on that level and what gets – big groups of people in position to make that happen on that level. I think in the post-game locker room, you can see that in the way that they all appreciate each other. And I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid set a great tone when it comes to that, and that organization, but you can see it absolutely all over the place. Like I can think of like Brett Veach, um, you know, I was talking about him talking to him about the construction of the roster a week before Like he rattled off a million names. He's like, oh, well, my assistant GM, Mike Borgonzi, is part of every decision that we make. And he's with me on everything. And we're more partners than anything else. And it's just seeing that sort of thing is really, really cool. You know?
0: Last question, looking ahead now. Yeah. Uh, We are talking Tuesday. Mm -hmm. If this comes out tomorrow morning, and I have asked about Derek Carr, is it going to be outdated?
1: Wait, so this comes out Wednesday morning. And yep. all right, so will he well, be on a new Derekon, team by then? Huh?
0: Will he be on a new team by then?
1: He won't be a Raider. Um, and if or if he is if he is a Raider, it would only be because somebody panicked traded for him. No, I think this is going the way that's going. I think this is going the way that has been going, really to back to the time that he was benched. Um the Raiders knew when they benched him, that was it for him there. Um and there's a million reasons why, but you know, this is we've been driving to this conclusion for a while. Um, compensation was never the issue. I, I think that's one thing that needs to be made clear. It's not like he's not good enough to have a team trade for him, instead, there's no other team that's willing to trade for his contract. And so that's put us where we are right now. So, uh, my, my guess is by the time everybody hears this, he'll be a free agent.
0: Wait, you're saying compensation know. was the issue?
1: I'm saying his contract was the issue. Okay. His contract. Yeah. No one was willing to trade. It's not that teams weren't willing to trade for the player. Right. It's right, that right. Teams weren't willing to trade for the contract. No, how much is see- he
0: making per year now? Isn't it um uh,
1: so his contract? God, what was it? So the real problem is the guarantee. So the guarantee, it's okay. so the, the the average of the contract was around 40. But the guarantee was you Yeah, if he's on the roster at Forty point four. Uh, well, no, if is, he's on the roster tomorrow, which is why they have right. to 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 cut him at four p.m. today. Thirty point nine million dollars. Thirty two point nine million dollars for this year's entire all his money for this year becomes fully guaranteed, and then seven and a half million dollars of his money for twenty twenty four becomes fully guaranteed, and that's really the issue. The issue is you're committing you're committing a huge number to him for this year, and you're committing money like significant money to him for next year. So you're basically locking yourself in. For two years with him, um, so nobody is was that, wanting to trade for the contract.
0: So I, the the only question that I've had about that this whole time okay. is that like we're talking about paying Gino Smith and Daniel Jones like upwards of thirty five, right? This off season,
1: but you're not so attaching. Are a they saying pick. you're you're not you're not attaching a draft okay. pick to it?
0: So that's then my question: Are they going to then not attach the draft pick, but then turn around and probably pay him roughly what he was going to get? Paid I don't. I think night?
1: he'll get a little less. But I'm, I'm, i But I. I you know. What, honestly, I think what we see. So I, it's possible. Like I, here's a, the problem, Lindsay is that we know what a great quarterback is going to get paid, right? Like we know what a top end quarterback is going to get paid. We know what Joe Burrow is going to get paid. We know yes. what Justin Herbert going to pay get paid. Mm-hmm. We know where the where the Eagles are probably gonna go with Jalen Hurts now, right? That's not hard. Like, all right, whatever the whatever the market is, the next guy's probably gonna get a little bit more. What we don't have is a B level. Like, if you look at it, there's really no like second level of quarterback contracts. And that's probably the category that Daniel Jones and Geno Smith are in. And that's the quarter, that's the that's the category that now Derek Carr would slot into. So whoever pays Derek Carr. Whatever Derek Carr gets is going to help set the market for guys like Jones and Gino, who are not Burrow, who are not Lawrence, who are not Hurts, but are good players and who are players you can win with. And so, like, I think that that's going to be the challenge is if you're a team out there pursuing him, how do you find that second level of quarterback contract? And that can be driven up. If you have multiple bidders, I'd expect that the saints are going to be involved. The jets to me, so the Jets were the only other team that called the Raiders on car. Uh, the Jets, to me, I think would probably want to be patient because I think Rodgers is the guy that they're really after. And I think that's in part, at least, ownership driven. And so like, while it'd be nice to get this squared away early and know who your quarterback is going to be for 2023 early, are you, and I don't mean this in an insulting way at all, are you giving up a home run to settle for a double? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the question the Jets are gonna have to ask themselves as car becomes available over the next 24 hours. My guess would be that he's gonna wind up signing for the Saints, and it's probably gonna be for less than he got 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 from the Raiders. And then that'll help set the market for Gino and D- Daniel Jones. But we'll see what happens. Part of the part of the problem is too, too, um, Lindsay, is like this year it looks like teams are going to have some options. It's not like there's one quarterback that everybody's after. Like if you strike out on Derek Carr and you're the Saints, like is the gap between Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield massive? And you could have Baker Mayfield for a lot less. And I'm not saying I'm not saying like Derek is a bad but I think Baker Mayfield can be a pretty decent player if things are right around him. Is the difference between Derek Carr and Daniel Jones that big? Is the difference between Derek Carr and Geno Smith that big? Gino might be a better player now, you know? So that's the question is like, is he going to be able to create a bidding war a month from the start of free agency when teams might be looking at it and saying to hell with it, we'll just go in free agency and pick up one of those other guys.
0: Yeah. I know everybody keeps saying that he's probably going to be the first domino to fall. There's a part of me that's like, I don't know that that makes sense in my brain that he wouldn't have to wait to like, why someone would be in a rush to go sign Derek Carr even waiting after the draft makes sense to me the, right like if you're I mean, one of these really, teams
1: yeah I mean really to me like the question is like, like the, the benefit is that you have it taken care of and you're dealing with certainty at that point you know what I mean? you're not like, left the, without
0: the, a chair in the musical chairs right the benefit yeah.
1: is like instead of going into the unknown like we know what we've got we know how much we're paying him and now we can start planning for free agency in the draft without having to worry about it. And that might be appealing. Like if your team is drafting one, that might be appealing. You know what I mean? Like if you're a team up near the top, like the Colts or the Texans or whoever, I mean, the Texans, maybe not because of the history with his family there, but <laughs> you know, um, but, yeah,
0: but, but if, but, but, like but if
1: you're one of these teams near the top that's planning on drafting one and you can get him for a relatively reasonable price, like maybe there is some benefit to that. We're saying like, okay, like we're going to bring in Derek Carr. And then we'll draft one It's sort of like what, you know, the bears did with, uh, with when they drafted Mitch Trubisky and had Mike Lennon or what the, what the, what the Eagles did when they brought back Sam Bradford and drafted Carson Wentz where it's like, all right, like let's just, let's get somebody in the or roster drafted now.
0: Jalen hurts when they yeah. had Carson, Wentz. I mean different, right. but yes,
1: but, well, <laughs> but at that point, but at that point you don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to worry about the quarterback position as much and you don't have to force the rookie out there onto the field. So there is some merit to that, that, that idea too.
0: Okay. Last question about yep. that. When you say that he sort of sets the market for Daniel Jones and Gino, are they going upwards of that? Or is that like, that's I the don't max know. out? I mean, it's hard because
1: here's the thing. It's like, what you're worth is what somebody is willing to pay you. So it's easy for me to, it's easy for people to look at it and say, all right, so you know, Russell Wilson got 49 million and Kyler Murray got 46 million. So this person certainly should be worth this. That's not the way it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not the way it works. Like it's well, it's it's it all sort of boils down to how the market like shakes out. And um, you know, I I I would like to think those guys will, you know, take home 25, 30, something like that. Um, because I do think those guys are worth it. Uh but, you know, if you don't have a ton of teams out there bidding for them and the first team in makes a, let's call it team-friendly offer, well, like, if you don't have other options, then what do you do? Do you do a one-year deal and make good and try to again next year? It can be complicated that way. And so I think it's a mistake to look at it. And I know a lot of people, like, use the analytics and all that other stuff and say, well, you know, like, he's worth this percentage of this person. It just The market doesn't work that way.
0: Albert, I really appreciate your time. Good luck getting
1: the voice back. Huh? Good luck getting the voice. (laughs) I'm working on it.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Good stuff. And you can find more from Albert at Albert Breer on Twitter. Also, si.com. As mentioned at the top, I'm going to take a break for a little bit, a hiatus, if you will, and I will keep you updated on when I'm back. But I just wanted to say I'm really, really appreciative for those of you, of those of you who listen to the pod um, regularly or even just once in a while. It's a total passion project for me, the opportunity to have the conversations that I want to have with the people that I want to have them with. And I've Never really been under the impression that this was going to lead to like any kind of massive success or huge download numbers. I know that this is a niche audience. That's the point is to avoid the broad and really get into something very specific. But I think that with my producer, Andrew Emmer, we've been able to stay true to the conversations that we've wanted to have on this show. And I hope that that has served some of you well as NFL fans. Again, I'll keep you updated on the future. And you can also find me on Twitter at Lindsey underscore Rhodes. I'm on Instagram also at Lindsey NFL. I'm going to go drink lots of wine now. <laughs> and I can't wait to check back in with you refreshed and with lots of offseason roster building nerdiness to deconstruct. Be well, guys.
1: Series XM Podcasts.